0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the book of Revelation, chapter 2 for our summer series. Uh, this summer we've been going through just chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, seeing what Jesus writes to seven churches in Asia Minor uh, in about the year 95 A.D. And and every, ch- every church faces its unique challenges, and, and ours is no different, and And in these seven churches, we find our personal lives, our personal hearts, as well as the heart of our own church uh, in a lot of these things. And so today, we're going to talk about how Jesus wants us as Christians, and he wants us as the church to be pure. He wants us to be pure. And so we're going to find that in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Uh, If you have your Bible, follow along with that. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, My translation might be different, and that's okay, and uh, uh, follow along with me in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. This is what Jesus writes through the Apostle John. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and those whose feet are like fine bronze, I know your works, Your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. I know that your last works are greater than your first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will shatter them like pottery." Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, would you open up our ears and our eyes, and would you cleanse our hearts so that we can be a bride that is pure and spotless to you this morning and all of our days. Amen. You know, in our day-to-day lives, there's there's quite a bit that we need to put up with, right? You know, living. A, uh, may, maybe they might be uncomfortable, or maybe they're perhaps annoying, but somehow we can uh, we can find the strength to put up with them. As Minnesotans, you may be on one of two spectrums. You may. Right now, just be putting up with the summer heat. Summer might not be your thing, but you're sort of forced to endure it, forced to put up with it. Or maybe in, uh, say, January, when we get that deep winter uh, freeze where it's negative whatever for a few weeks that you might be tolerating that cold for just a a short amount of time, uh, waiting for days like we are in uh, today where there is some heat uh, you know, our at our house, our cat tolerates our dog. She she puts up with him. He's a bully to her, and he is mean to her. And every so often, he'll get a swat in the face because of it. But she is very tolerant of him. She might run away, but she'll put up with him. Uh, you know, every Christmas, my sanctification rises up to new levels because I have to endure through Amy Grant's Christmas CD for one more year. Well I get booze from that? Okay. Well, I will endure through your negativ- negativity here. You may have to put up with certain job expectations. You may have to put up with attitudes from children or maybe traffic. Oh, who likes traffic, right? Driving the city is, is just something else these days with all the construction, or there might be countless other things. Uh, These things are to be expected, and we actually grow in patience and endurance through these certain things. But in our text today, Jesus teaches us that there are some things in the Christian life that we simply cannot tolerate. Chiefly, sin And uh, the church at Thyatira here for a long time had put up with this individual who was claiming to be a prophetess and and hence she was leading God's people into sin and believe things that ought not to be believed or even named among Christians. And if we want to be a church that is holy and pure to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, Emmanuel Baptist needs to be purified. And from what I see here in this uh, short text, there are four ways that we can move towards being uh, a more uh, pure uh, as individuals and as a church and the first one is is that we need to view all of life in light of jesus 's opinion. We need to view all of life in light of jesus 's opinion. Look at me in verse eighteen. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. And we're going to push pause there for just a second here. It says that Jesus is writing to the church. Did you notice that he is not writing to the city of Thyatira? His primary concern here is the purity of the church. And we need to remember this because uh, far too many times we need to remember that we are the bride of Christ, not the culture. And oftentimes we are so preoccupied with getting the right legislation passed or changing the culture to be more moral uh, than we are about having a pure church toward God, But when it comes to the issue of what we tolerate and how to deal with it, our first and primary concern ought to be within the church. This doesn't devalue civic action. It doesn't, uh, I don't think it hinders uh, putting good morals into the culture. Those are good things. But we see here that Jesus is first and foremost primarily concerned with us who are in the church Now notice how Jesus identifies himself. He says, Thus says the Son of God. Now in saying that he is the Son of God, Jesus is here asserting his deity. He is exclaiming and proclaiming his godhood, his godness, his authority. He is showing that he alone has the right and the ability to see things as they truly are. He alone has the right to judge things as they truly are. And because of that, Jesus cannot be negotiated with. He can't be bargained with. Uh, He he can't uh, be uh, bribed. He sees things both exposed and he sees things hidden and compares them to the absolute pure character of himself. And he goes on to say that he is the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame. You now, when we think about Jesus in this way, this ought to both uh, terrify us and exhilarate us at the same time. This is a picture of one who sees all things. There is nothing that passes by his all-seeing eye. The murderer who may seem to get away with his crime here on earth, Jesus sees and one day will put it to justice. On the flip side of that, those of us who do things in his name that no one else sees, that no one else recognizes, Jesus sees that and he is pleased when we do things to his glory. And he sees not only their actions, but verse 23 says that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. You know, just as Romans chapter 2 verse 16 tells us that there will be a day uh, in which uh, God will judge the hidden secrets in the human heart. So God sees those things that we even think Even those hidden motives that are hidden toward uh, even in us. Now, Jesus here, he's writing to a community of blue-collar laborers, especially uh, in Thyatira. He's writing to metal workers. And these people would have understood that fire is what purifies the metals that they are working with here. And he is saying that he sees reality for what it is and he judges it. And he is searching out his church right now and says that he is doing so with feet that are like polished bronze or fine bronze. Those who have worked in the bronze industry would have known that when bronze is its most pure, when it's the most shiniest, when it is uh, the most Uh, dazzling, The, the bronze can reflect a light in such a way that it almost blinds the person that looks upon it. And Jesus here uses that image to describe his purity in a way that his listeners can understand. And because of this, we learn that no sinful person can be in the presence of such a pure being without the grace and the mercy of that pure being. And it's only through his lens that we can interpret reality correctly. So let me ask you something. How does the fact that Jesus sees everything affect how you live your daily life? That there are no secrets that are hidden from him? Does it affect the way that you spend your money or your free time or your alone time? Let me encourage you to look upon Jesus, the one who sees everything you do, think, and say and dwell on his purity and and his relation to everything. What needs to change in your life, your attitude, your lifestyle, your behavior? What needs to change so that you can view all of life and reality through Jesus' lens. Well, that's the first thing. Second, we need to recognize the good that is happening. Recognize the good that is happening. In verse 19, Jesus gives us a good example of how to deal with conflict. You know, there's going to be a lot of heavy stuff that Jesus talks about here uh, in this letter concerning this church. But before he does, notice that he takes a moment to reflect on some good things that are happening here at the church. In verse 19, he says, I know your works. I know your love, your faithfulness, your service and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. So, you know, whenever... You or I are in conflict, whether it be uh, relationally or socially or, or, or corporately or, or whatever uh, the, the conflict and whatever way it comes. One thing that we have a tendency to do is to look on the bad side of everything and to dwell on that. And to stew on it. We analyze it. We focus on it. We overanalyze it. We we obsess over it. And when we do that, it's as if we are continually putting coals into the steam engine while the train is coming towards the station. There's no room to stop. Instead of slowing down, rather the fire is burning so hard it just plows right through the station, ruining people and relationships, destroyed rather than being built up. So we should take our cues from Jesus here, and we ought to see what is good that is going on here first. You know, in in a lot of ways, this church here at Thyatira is well beyond Uh, what is going on in these other churches. Here at Thyatira, these people are all in. Everything that they give, whether it's at work or after work or whatever, is fully dedicated to ministry. And in all aspects of not only their lives, but in the community of Thyatira, for people to know the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look at Emmanuel Baptist Church, yeah, you know, we see some things that That may need a tune-up. We see some things that might need replacing or repair. Or in a few cases, perhaps a burial. And those things need to be addressed. But first, let's rejoice in the good that is happening. Let's look to what God is doing as a positive thing in our church. And I think God is doing some really amazing things in our congregation lately. I'm very proud to see uh, where we're going and what we're doing, and and I'm I'm so thankful to God for that. But when you face struggle or conflict in in relationships or stresses in various places throughout your life or parenting issues or maybe it's extended family, what is your default mindset? Is it to go dig further into the, the problem And into the negativity that that, that comes from it? Or do you look for what is good and positive and right and praiseworthy in that situation? Ask God today to move you forward in whatever conflict you're facing with a hopeful attitude That God can change things, and there's indeed good things that are going on, whether or not you are seeing it. So Jesus takes us, takes just one verse to tell them what is good, and now he very quickly changes the tone, and he says this, but I have this against you. And that leads us into our third point, is that we need to pursue purity individually and in the church. We need to pursue purity individually and in the church. So Jesus moves quickly to the problems. And the problem here, I think, is relevant to many churches today. And that is, is that the church is simply too tolerant of some of the things that are happening within its doors. We know this because Jesus says that they're they're, they're tolerating this woman who calls herself a, a prophetess. Look with me in verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent. Look, I'll throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. Now, I don't know if you've noticed in these last uh, few letters, but there's a pattern that Jesus Points out in the letter to Ephesians, he wants them to know that there are people who call themselves apostles and are not. And we have seen in uh, the letter to Smyrna that there are people who call themselves Jews. And Jesus says, by their actions and by their works, they have shown that they are, in fact, not Jews. And now he calls this woman Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess? And he says, you know what? This this woman is not a prophetess. Her rise probably happened in the same way that a lot of false teachers rise up in churches. They they, they come in and they somehow wiggle their way into leadership positions and they wiggle their way uh, into uh, Scripture and make their arguments based on something that seems plausible, but denies the gospel. And probably what this woman did, and this is speculation, and I think he is uh, addressing one specific person here, is that this woman knew that, biblically speaking, women were not biblically appointed to be preachers, but you see in the book of Acts that there are women prophetesses if you look in Acts chapter 2, we see how the people began to prophesy, both men and women, based on this, this prophecy from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And here this woman probably said something, goes up to people and says something like, God told me this. And uh, God told me to tell you this or that. Well, there can be dangerous problems, when someone comes and says such things to people. And so this woman, she goes to church and she says something, uh, something like this. And it's understandable that many people would, would have reacted in such a way of saying, well, I don't know if she really talked to God or not. And so I don't want to say uh, or argue against something that God says. And so many people tolerated it. And with the toleration, it starts filtering into the psyche and ends up becoming a belief that is pronounced in the church. They put up with it, and Jesus here says, no way. Now, did you notice here that Jesus doesn't even give her the dignity of saying her name? He calls her Jezebel of all people. If you remember Jezebel from your, your two years of truth reading plan, uh, you'd remember that there's no other name besides the snake in the Garden of Eden that, that brings chills to uh, to people when they think about her. She was a Sidonian princess who was the wife of King Ahab, uh, among many other things that she did of inciting Israel to worship uh, Baal. She also uh, was one that systematically ordered the slaughter of God's prophets throughout Israel. A very wicked woman. And uh, this is what led to this great showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah had, had, had contested against the, the prophets of Baal. And uh, you can read that story in, in 1 Kings there of, of uh, God burning up the altar and Elijah slaughtering all the, the priests of Baal. And this is all because of Jezebel, who then wanted Elijah's head as a result. By her deception... She led many of God's people astray. She was eventually thrown from a window and eaten by wild dogs, but just the name of Jezebel would, uh, would be bad news to those here in the church. And Jesus equates this so-called prophetess with Jezebel because she is prophesying, she is seducing and teaching God's people to engage in acts of sexual immorality and idolatry. It is very important to note that as you make your way, reading throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way down to Revelation, that one of the biggest sins that has been twisted from God's good design has been uh, sexuality. It is probably our culture's top God. These are cultures that thought that premarital, extramarital, and perverted sex were things that ought to be validated and affirmed even in the church. Notice here that God is intolerant of these practices. You know, we live in in a very uh, sexually saturated culture, one that, that tolerates acts of sex that as of now seems to have absolutely no boundaries. There's no limit at this point. And as time marches on, it seems as if it's going to increase steadily. And so if we want to see things the way that Jesus sees them. We need to view sexuality in the same way that Jesus views sexuality. You see, sex in Jesus' eyes is only valid in monogamous heterosexual marriages. It's not valid in premarital relations. It's not valid in extramarital relations. It's not valid in homosexual relations. It's not valid uh, on, on a screen or in, in a magazine or on a photograph or in licentious fantasies within the mind or in romance novels or stories. Verse, look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent. So let's, let's, let's stop here a second. We know that throughout Scripture, Jesus is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is the Yahweh, who is gracious and kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he is patient with all. But this text teaches us that there is a limit on Jesus' patience. He doesn't wait forever. He gave her plenty of warnings, but now it is time to be done. And what he tells us, and he tells us here in our church today, is that you may be stuck in, in some sexual sin whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, or uh, relationally, and the Lord is absolutely patient with you. He is kind, He is gracious, and He is gracious to open you up to true beauty. He wants you to turn. Now, whether it is sexual or not, you and I, we all have certain struggles of various kinds and various degrees. Jesus died for every single one of those things. Jesus died for us pornographers. Jesus died for us adulterers. Jesus died for us fornicators. He died for us homosexuals that we may no longer live to those things, but for him who loved us and freed us from our sin. So if you're struggling, know that Jesus is kind and he wants to bring you to repentance. And because you are still breathing, he is giving you time. He is giving you time, but you don't know when that time is going to run out. So let me encourage you by saying, now is the time to turn. Now is the time to flee from those things. Now, today is the day of salvation. Believe in Jesus for forgiveness, for pardon of your sins, for restoration, to wholeness, the way that we were created to be. There will come a day when his patience will be no more. He will judge the world in righteousness. And that ought to terrify us, but more so, it ought to well us up with compassion for those who are living apart from the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't put this off. Trust in Jesus today. So because of the church wouldn't do anything here, Jesus then says, I'm going to have to take this into my own hands. It's go time. The very bed that she uses to commit these acts of pleasure or acts of worship, whatever reason they were doing it for, Jesus says that he will now make into a bed of infirmity. Notice that in verse 22, uh, Jesus instructs those who gave themselves to this Jezebel, they have to get out of bed with her or join her in infirmity, in disease. Verse 23 says that it'll even strike some of them dead. And this goes right along with Romans six twenty-three: for the wages of sin is death. Jesus has the right to say this because he is the only one who is absolutely pure. He is making a pure and spotless bride for himself. And he isn't interest, uh, it's interesting here that Jesus writes to this small church in a podunk little town where there's not a whole lot of people But he cares about his church so much that he writes to them and warns them of this. How easy would it have been for him to say, oh, that's just some small country church over in East Asia. It's one woman. It's not a big deal. But he loves them so much that he confronts them here. Notice in verse 23, it says, I'll strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. This is another warning call that nothing gets past him. Those who refuse to repent will meet judgment. But those who turn from their sin and turn to him will receive mercy. So what extent what extent do you take your personal sin seriously? Is it something that when you're hit with it knowing what you've done that you just kind of you just brush it off? Maybe make excuses? Maybe think it's not that big of a deal or presume upon the kindness and the riches of God's mercy and his grace how how seriously do you take your sin do you do you ever weep over your sin not just feeling guilty for it but knowing that you have broken faith with God does that ever bother you i'm ashamed to admit it doesn't bother me as much as it should Do you see the church's charge to seek purity? Are you patient with those who sin differently than you? Or perhaps a lot of times what we see, we're more impatient with people that struggle with the same things that we do. It's kind of funny how that works out. Will we exercise church discipline faithfully when the time rises to restore people to repentance? You know, no church is ever going to be perfect and no person is ever going to be perfect, but we pursue goodness. We pursue holiness. We pursue rightness. And it doesn't mean that we tolerate sin. We must pursue purity and holiness individually and in the church. There's a fourth thing. And this is a pattern that we've seen throughout all these churches so far. And that is that we need to hear the promises. God gives all these things that it's easy that if I were just to cut the sermon off right there at the last, uh, at the, uh, last uh, point, that you would leave this place saying, oh man, it's kind of a heavy ending. And sometimes we need that, right? But notice here he says, hear the promises. Verse 24, Jesus moves on to those who haven't followed this Jezebel and he says, I... Have I place no other burden on you. You know, they've gone through a lot. Jesus confirms this in verse 25, by commanding them to hold on to what you have until I come. Now part of holding fast to the gospel is purifying the church, and part of purifying the church is making sure that proper doctrine is taught. And it is drawing the line between between what belief and unbelief belief and unbelief looks like. They must hold fast. They must exclude this woman. And if you're not sold on this yet, look at verse 24. They called it the deep things of Satan. Notice that Jesus has absolutely no problem with calling this woman's actions evil. He doesn't explain it, doesn't affirm it, he doesn't give excuses. He doesn't even give it the benefit of the doubt, but rather identifies it as satanic and is not afraid to publish it. And I think in the church, we are often too willing, too not willing to ruffle feathers than to call things what they are. And I'm not saying just go out and be a jerk and, and tell people, hey, you're a sinner and you need to fix this. No, we speak the truth in love. But we also ought not to be ashamed of what God has said is good and right in his word. And so this leads right into Jesus' charge to conquer Notice he says, those who keep my works, and that is those who keep the process of church discipline as labeled in Matthew chapter 18 uh, to the end, and the church at Thyatira needed to stop their toleration of this woman. And in that command, notice in verses 26 through 28 here, uh, they're quoted from Psalm 2. And this is about the authority of God giving all authority to the Son. And Jesus promises here, now in Revelation, that those who abide in him, those who follow him, he will infer that authority onto them and they will reign together. But if we want to reign with him. We need to work towards purity and faithfulness. Notice also that Jesus promises the morning star. Now, this reflects Numbers chapter 24, verse 7, when, uh, when uh, uh, Moses uh, prophesied that a star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel And uh, then it also reflects Luke chapter 178, which says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. The promise of the morning star is a promise that the overcomers will be identified with Jesus in his coming reign. You know, I wonder if you're looking for that morning star. You know, every night it's usually dark. I take my dog out to do his thing before he goes to to bed. And and as I'm out there, I will often look at a cloudless sky. And the summer is just a beautiful time to see these constellations out there. It's easy to see the Big Dipper. It's easy to see the belt of Orion. and and, all these other constellations, and it's just, it's breathtaking. And I almost look forward to going out there on a clear night just to see that. But I wonder, are you looking for the morning star? Are you looking for Jesus to come back? Do you care about the sin in your life? Or are you making like Britney Spears who's saying, oops, I did it again, and then just moving on from there? How much personal discipline are you putting into your life to overcome it of reading scripture, of delighting in God and studying his word and prayer and, and, uh, and fasting? How much are you clinging to the mercies of Christ who overcame sin and death to help you in those struggles? God is, des- God is pleased when we have a desire to change and to be made more like him and he will hear that prayer Of ours. You know, this letter has very little to do with a small church in a rural area. This letter has very little to do with Emmanuel Baptist Church and has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember from Romans chapter 8, he promises that in him we are more than conquerors. And so, Emmanuel, I want to charge us to cling to Jesus and overcome these things. You know, there's a whole plethora of things that you and I have to put up with every day and we, and we tolerate them. It's good. It builds character. It builds endurance. It, it, it builds uh, faithfulness and, and love for others. But as Christians, we have to be careful that we do not tolerate things that we just can't tolerate in our lives and in the lives of the church. Will you Personally, help the church to become more pure by desiring holiness and purity and working towards those things in your individual walk with Christ. Will you adopt his perspective on things? Will you recognize the good that's happening in your situations and in the church? And will you hear the promises and rest on Jesus alone? I pray we do. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would take these broken stones that we are and that you would build your house with us. Lord, every single one of us struggles. Every single one of us has issues that we deal with, Lord, and we are helpless to overcome them on our own strength. And so, Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us change, that we would not only turn from those things that have gripped our hearts, but that we would desire purity and holiness in our lives and that your Spirit would work towards that end. God, where we need to be broken in spirit, would you crush us right now? and lead us back to Christ. And Lord, as we celebrate this Lord's Supper, would we remember his death and burial on our behalf and also his resurrection to give us, to give us the gift of holiness. And it's in his great name that we ask this. Amen.